Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I, I'm still full. I don't know about you. I am still full. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your friends, with your family, with whoever you celebrated with. I hope that you ate and, and the, the feasted on the bounty of food and, and, and just delighted. I hope you're already enjoying Thanksgiving leftovers. For many people, that's their favorite part of Thanksgiving. It's the leftover sandwiches. Maybe you make it like with cranberry sauce, a little bit of stuffing, a little bit of gravy, turkey, and then it's a, kind of the whole Thanksgiving meal in a sandwich. Some of you just, maybe you just do turkey and you do a little bit of cheese and lettuce, crisp lettuce and maybe some mustard. I don't, however you like your Thanksgiving sandwiches, I hope that you are enjoying yourself and that you had a great holiday. But as you know, now that Thanksgiving is over, it is legally permissible for us to turn our attention to all things Christmas. That's right. Christmas is upon us. And so it's um, we can play Christmas music and string up the Christmas lights and decorate and get our Christmas tree, all of the things. And those are all good things, but sometimes they can inform our imagination more than the Bible does. So we're here with Jay Kim to talk about three images that the Bible gives us for what Jesus is and what the coming of the Messiah is. And um, we're going to stare at those because I think that they're really helpful in rounding out the image. Because if we're if we're left to ourselves, the popular imagination and the cultural imagination around Jesus will kind of dominate our thoughts instead of the biblical one. And so we're going to take a look at three key metaphors and images that the Bible gives us for what the Messiah is, who the Messiah is, what he means. And I think that that will inform and infuse the, the nativity with far more meaning. So Jake Kim is here to help me with that. We're going to talk about these three images. And so as we kick off Advent, I thought who better to help us kick it off than the one and only Mariah Carey. Not just because I'm a child of the 90s and love Mariah with an everlasting love. And not just because All I Want for Christmas is You is perhaps the most ubiquitous Christmas song ever written in the history of the world. But because her version of Oh Holy Night is just butter. So Mariah, would you help all of us here at Westgate Church kick off the Advent season? We sure would appreciate it. Ah, uh, well, you know what time it is. Yes, it's 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 Christmas time. Christmas time is here. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through a couple of the the it's comments. Almost Christmas. Time. It's almost yeah. Christmas time. Yeah. I'm gonna go through a couple of the Christmas images that are famous in famous Christmas songs, Ooh. and I want you to tell me if you've ever experienced any of these, like in real life. In real life, you J Kim. Okay, number. Have you ever heard silver bells? No. Okay. I haven't either. Yeah, that's weird, huh? Have you ever had chestnuts that have been roasted? Yes. On an open fire? Really? I have, yeah. What do they taste like? They're awesome. What is it just like a cashew? I mean, the, what, what is it? No, the uh the uh the texture's a little funny. It's like a little pasty. Pasty? Uh, yeah. Like if, milk? If it yeah, it softens quite oh, a bit. Oh, it softens. Yeah. Oh. 
It's a little mushy, like not as soft as Almost mashed like potatoes, a, but you know when you cook garlic? A little like that, probably a little less soft than that. Oh, than interesting. That, but Where did yeah. you have these chestnuts that have, were roasted on open They're fire? They're pretty common, man. Actually, there's a Japanese market on Saratoga Avenue called Mitsua. If you go there on occasion, they'll have, there's a person who has a little stand and they'll, they yeah. roast chestnuts and uh, they're really tasty, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever used a nutcracker? Um, uh, like a toy no. soldier nutcracker? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. Yeah, weird. Have you ever gone on a sleigh ride in a one horse open sleigh or an open sleigh or a sleigh driven by one or more horses? Never. Hmm. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Christmas is a lie. Have you ever kissed anyone under the mistletoe or tried to? I don't think so. Would you like to right now? <laughs> um, have you ever built a snowman in the middle of a field? Yes. You that have. I have done. Okay, yes. you, you've done that. Yes. All right. Um, did you pretend he was a, um, a pastor and that he was going to marry you and whoever you were with? No. Because that seems pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty strange. Is that part of the song? Yeah. That's in the weird. meadow, we can build a snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown. Oh, yeah. He'll say, are you married? We'll say no, man. But you can do the job when you're in town, even though you're in a mobile ice sculpture. Oh, yeah. I never Super really thought weird. about that. That's pretty weird. Well, it, or very romantic. What is the story behind that? I don't lyric? know. That's strange. Lastly, this is this is probably too too vulnerable a question. Oh. Have you ever witnessed your mother kissing Santa Claus? St. Nick. No, never. Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah. I'm glad for that. Yeah, that'd be weird. That would be super weird. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the point we're trying to make is that these are images of Christmas that are popular. Yes. That kind of dominate our imagination. And actually, this is going to sound really strange, but I was thinking about this. It feels like our imaginations are more popularized or colonized by these ideas uh, about Christmas from popular music and yeah. popular um, culture in the same way that it's kind of like when biblical scholars say, actually, most of your ideas about hell are from the Middle Ages and they're not biblical. Right. And they try to kind of deconstruct all the ideas about hell or the yeah. devil that we have, like he's got cloven hooves and yeah. pointy you know, horns. Th Man, those you went are from Christmas to hell really fast. Well, I'm that just, was impressive. I'm, I, but you know what I'm saying? The, the idea is that it's not, we're not informed totally. by the biblical story. We're informed yes. by like popular notions of things. Correct. And it just sinks in, right? Yeah. So, um, that's kind of what, that's kind of what this, this message was about. This, yeah. Yeah. This week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and why is that dangerous? Or I guess why, why, or why is that problematic potentially, I guess? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's lots of problems with it. We miss out on a whole lot, you know, when we don't capture the, the biblical sort of story. Uh, what we said on Sunday, um, you at Saratoga, me at South Hills, was that if our, you know, we focused in quite a bit on the nativity scene. Because when we think about Christmas, that is one of the predominant images, this sweet baby Jesus. It's always really well lit. You know, it's typically pretty clean, which is not accurate. That's not what it would have felt like um, or looked like. Uh, it would have, it would not have smelled nice in that nativity scene, you know, in that manger or really a cave, you know, a dirt cave. Um, so we, the problem, I think one of the predominant problems 
is it's really nice to look at a nativity scene, but then when we reflect on the reality of our lives and we think about the incredible story that is God coming to earth, this sweet little baby in a manger, that image doesn't suffice. Like a, a, a tiny little infant in and of itself cannot answer or respond to the problems that Christmas really wants to answer. So we have to begin to see the image as a window into a much larger, much more expansive, way more powerful story that in this manger or in this little cave, as God came, descended to earth, um, held within this little newborn child is the power of the cosmos. Right. And we have to capture that. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis from uh, The Last Battle from the Chronicles of Narnia, where he says, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're trying to get at. Yeah. Now, now before we move on, because I really want to move on, but there's also a side of this. I was reflecting on this. There is something, um, everything you said is 100% right, but I was also reflecting on, um, there was a series of essays by a guy named Frederick Buechner. Yeah. And one of the things that he said is that, Christmas is also a revelation of how God comes. Like if he can come to that place in those conditions, is there anywhere God can invade? Right. So he, but then he also said, but he also comes, look how frail he is. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could be killed. Mm -hmm. Herod tries to kill him. Mm -hmm. Like this baby is just super fragile. Yeah. And so there's something kind of interesting and worth reflecting on the dirty, dingy smallness of it, but then there's also contained in this Jesus, as you said, yeah. is is the world. So we yeah, talk- it's not that we should lose the yes, nativity it's scene. It's just add layer onto it's it. It's that the nativity scene is so incredible because held within its sort of humility and smallness is yeah, the world, bigger than the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that both are yeah, right. I guess it's it's like it's 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 good to reflect on just the utter smallness and humility and fragileness of it. Yeah. At the same time, holding that Silent Night, Holy Night is kind of no crying he makes. I mean, this is kind of just all right. <laughs> that there's something much, much, much bigger going on, and that's where we're kind of going through. We went through three biblical metaphors about the Messiah. Yeah. About God's movement that were true of the Messiah, in order to try to help people kind of see. Um, or layer on top of, and these are images that I think are really helpful. Yeah. And the Bible often gives us images right? as ways of, for us to reflect on who God is. And the images are metaphors are super helpful. I think for people for footholds, right? We've talked about this with salvation. Mm-hmm. God gives us salvation images, but this is the Messiah images. The first one we talked about was a strong tower. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, um, and this is the idea of a strong tower or a refuge um, is used in a ton of Proverbs, tons of Psalms, Psalm 46, 91. Isaiah says it in Isaiah 26 and 41. The prophet Nahum does. Um, so let's talk about Strong Tower a little bit, uh, maybe more reflections that you have. And then also, um, I guess we're trying to make the tie between Strong Tower or Refuge in Jesus. Like yeah. how, 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 how do people see that? Yeah. I mean, towers, we talked about this. They were central to the safety and security of a people. You know, any um, fortified city would have had a tower. And the tower on one hand was a, 
a stable force, you know, there, um, it's not just a tower, it's a fortified tower or a strong tower, meaning its foundations are secure. It, you cannot bring it down. You know, you might be able to bring some of the walls down, but you cannot bring the tower down. The other thing too is, you know, it's a tower. So it gives you, um, higher ground essentially. Right. And in battle, that's a big deal, you know, for a number of reasons. If you, um, you know, are, are uh, whatever, if you're like firing a, a, an arrow, you know, um, sure. from higher ground, I mean, the velocity, the accuracy, all those things. Right. And Van- really the vantage point, yeah. the vantage point and the, the perspective, you know, you can see an enemy coming from a great distance, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're high above and, uh, this, this little infant in the manger is a tower, is a strong tower, you know, that, um, the anxieties and the fears we face, especially as we head into a new year to get more specific, it's like, it's an election year. We don't know what's going to happen with the economy. I mean, and then our own personal lives, just all of the stuff, you know, that all of us have going on this, Christmas reminds us that in this infant is, um, uh, higher ground, you know, and strength and stability. And, uh, that offers us, you know, real peace and real hope that even if we can't see, um, Jesus can see. One of the things we didn't get into in the teaching, and I wanted your reflections on it is a lot of times, uh, the psalmist or David or somebody will write the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And then later on, of course, there's all these references in like Acts 4, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, or uh, uh, Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. Uh, talk about the name of the Lord being the, being the thing that's the strong tower of refuge, because that might be confusing for people. Like, how is the name of the Lord part of the strength or the tower? Like, what? how does that work? Yeah. I mean, when we hear the word the word name, we just think about a set of sounds we make to refer to a particular person, you know, Dave, Jay, whoever, Taylor, Swift, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> so, um, but biblically and really throughout the ancient world, names were, I mean, names are significant in our culture as well, but not, not with as much, um, uh, depth of meaning names were really significant in the ancient world. They were more than a set of sounds to refer to a particular individual names were sort of, um, a way to encompass the defining characteristics and traits of a particular person. So the name's like a suitcase and in the suitcase is all the attributes of that person or thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's shorthand for this is who this person is. You see it all throughout the Bible. Yeah. Um, when humans name other humans, it's laced with meaning. Oftentimes God will often rename people and, um, declare a particular truth about them or a renewed truth about them. Right. And included in that is a new name. You know, um, there's a book I would recommend if anyone wants to deep dive into this, there's a book by a a scholar, theologian and professor named Carmen Imes called bearing God's name. Oh yeah. Great book. And, uh, you know, it's sort of unpacking the Exodus story, but that book really was one of the most helpful, um, things for me when it came to like the gravity of a name. 
name and God's name and, and what it means when God says, for example, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. The third commandment. Yeah. Is that, it, yeah, that is doesn't necessarily mean like swearing. Hey, don't swear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you shouldn't swear, but it, it means so much more. So than much that. more. Right, it's right, about right. who the characteristics we embody. If we say right. that we belong to Yahweh, you know? And, yeah. Um, so yeah, th- when, when the Bible tells us that his name is a strong tower, it doesn't mean like it's this magic potion. You say the name, the, the sounds come out of your mouth and then boom, <laughs> it means, um, that you, uh, acknowledge and embrace and embody and express all of the characteristics, all of the reality and the truth, um, that the name of God you know, bears witness to. I think the literary term for this is metonymy. Mm. Um, it, it, it's a it's a shorthand um, for using one aspect of a thing to represent the entire thing. For example, we do it with today. The White House said. Now the White House, it's the what? First of all, the White House is not the White it House. Can't speak. It's right. A, but it means all the executive yeah, branch of our government. Right. So it's all the power, all the military, all the economic, all the authority. Right. So That's sometimes good. we use that yeah. in that kind, That's of, a great example. kind of phrase. Yeah. Um, okay. The second one we talked about was streams or streams in the desert, Yeah. which is, um, you know, in the Bible, streams of water. And the Israelites were desert people. Yeah. So without water, like they knew it's really death. it's yeah. death. It's so it's a big deal. But what's interesting, and we could not get into this because this is probably, we could do two teachings on this, on mm-hmm. just water or streams in the Bible. Because it starts with Eden, you know, all the, the the kind of fountainhead of all the streams that go out to all the nations is in Eden. And then there's all sorts of biblical metaphors yeah. about water and streams of water, um, you know, and, and all those kinds of things. So talk a little bit about like your reflections on that or, or what biblical passages kind of jump out to you when you think about streams of water Yeah, well, or streams well, in the desert. Yeah, there's plenty. I mean, when you and I were working on this teaching together, you pointed us to very beautifully, you know, this uh, somewhat obscure prophet Ezekiel, his vision in Ezekiel 47. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he has this incredible vision. It's a messianic vision. Yes. Of like when the promised one comes, what, what will happen? And I'll just paraphrase or read a few sections. He talks about, you know, I saw a great number of trees on each side of this river. The water flows toward the east. Um, it enters the Dead Sea. It says when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Right. It's a miracle. Right. It's a miracle. Because you can't drink salty water for sustenance. You need fresh water. And so it's this, it's this imagery of, um, water that cannot quench your thirst, that cannot satisfy, that cannot give you life turning into water that can. Uh, and then he's got all this imagery about like fish coming to life, right? And swamps and, and marshes, you know, and trees and orchards, trees yeah. and orchards and fruit. And then finally, you know, in verse twelve, the vision says, "Their fruit, the fruit that's born of this water that grows trees, it will serve for food and their leaves for healing." You yeah, know? and that's like a wonderful sort of synopsis of streams imagery throughout the scriptures that in this infant is this endless stream of healing water for the renewal of individuals and nations and communities and churches and the world. Yeah. Um, That's what we see in the nativity scene. It's not just the infant. It's like held within this infant is just this endless stream of healing water. And he's come to bring renewal, you know, to our world. 
it makes me think also of Revelation at the end when there's the the rivers in the in God's new city yeah. and there's a tree and it also doesn't it's for the healing of the nations. Yeah. Um, and it also reminds me of the the Psalm one, mm. which says, "Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers." That person is, or but but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on His law day and night. Yeah, that person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Yeah, never it's, withers. It's the same imagery that Ezekiel is using, that Revelation is using. Yeah. Um, but then it also makes me think about, and this might be a stretch. T- tell me if you think this is a stretch. I, but when Jesus is side is speared when he's on on the oh, cross, yeah, and then the water flows, water, water and blood. Water, yeah. His blood cleanses, but then the water comes yes, out. Yes, it's almost like this this image that, he, and when he says that, um, whoever drinks the water I'm going to give to them, yeah, will never um will never thirst and it will give them eternal life. Right. There's there's imagery of of water flowing from Jesus Himself on the yeah. cross, uh, which is so. I don't think about water flowing from Jesus, right. but it's like literally happening yeah. there. And yeah. blood, His blood, obviously, yeah. blood is a huge metaphor for, um, you know the the atonement. Yeah, well, for but, life and for life as well. Yeah. So it just it just kind of reminded me of all those kind of images. Yeah, because Jesus says like I'm the I'm the I'm the I'm the living water. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, so cool. And then lastly, um, this is probably the most recognizable or famous is light in the darkness. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is from Isaiah 9, and we read this every year, and mm-hmm. I, I do love it. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of my f- – this is going to sound strange. I think this is one of my favorite teachings you ever did. It was a number of years ago. You reflected on Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Mm. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Yeah. And your whole point in that teaching is pretty simple – like humans can't manufacture enough light to drive out the darkness. Right. We need a light from somewhere else. Yeah. And it was it was super powerful. Um, like we can't. That that was a. Um, do you remember that? It was like years mm-hmm. ago. It was like mm-hmm. four, probably four years ago. It was before. Yeah. I think it was before you came back on staff. So mm-hmm. it was a while ago. Yeah. Um. So talk a little bit about darkness and light and 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 as used in metaphors and yeah. just help people think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it, it's probably the most, um, it's the best known of the three, you know, images. Uh, and what's interesting to me is it's so, um, sort of intuitive, like people who are not religious understand that metaphor. Like if you go to a totally secular person, you say, man, there's so much darkness in the really world. Dark, huh? Nobody's like, what? What do you mean? Him. Yeah. You don't have electricity. Yeah. You know, like everyone <laughs> knows what that means. Right. Um, and I think a part of that is you see it from the, from the very start, you know, at the beginning when God separates light from darkness in Genesis one and two, and there's this sort of, you know, uh, really beautiful dance you know, and he doesn't declare one bad and one good. It's just this balancing of the world. But when sin enters the story, the imagery takes on a whole new meaning, you know, and, uh, um, you know, you, you, you had this really compelling thought as we were crafting the teaching together about darkness on a number of levels, you know, the darkness that is out there, way out there, like in the world, the war on the other side of the planet right now. And, you know, one country invading the other and, you know, tens of thousands of innocent lives being lost. There's darkness out there. And then there's darkness right here. In here. Yeah. Yeah. Like one, just in my neighborhood, 
in my school, at my work, um, in our culture, in Silicon Valley, you know? And then there's also darkness, like, way, way deep down in here, like in me, in the parts of me that I don't typically reveal to other people, that my thoughts, my motivations, my vices, you know, my addictions, my own sense of, you know, self-loathing or whatever, you know? And um, there's darkness everywhere is the point. Yeah. But there's also light and uh, this little infant in this manger. It's one of the things that is really profoundly inaccurate and accurate about nativity scenes is that they're so well lit. It's inaccurate because on on a literal level, it would not have been well lit. This is a pre-electricity culture, you know. Um, But uh, it's also profoundly accurate because that's exactly right in the darkness of this cave in the darkness of this manger and into the darkness of this world this newborn infant is light you know and, and brings light into the darkness and and he causes a new light to shine in the heavens yeah i mean there's there's the imagery all through jesus's birth of new light right yeah and it shines in the darkness, yeah. right? And leads the people, leads the wise men, leads the shepherds. Right. So yeah. there's something about um, light being uh, life with God and darkness being life without God or yeah. walking away. Yeah. I also think about like, thy word is a lamp until my yep. feet. There's all these images about God using light to guide us. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, there's a sense of being guided yeah. so that we can f- uh, not fall or be lost. Yeah. There's a sense of light being, uh, there's just so many levels that that metaphor works on. Right. Because we're a people, man. We're a people that live in darkness. Yep. Like like you said, uh, even people who aren't religious, when they pray, often it's it's about the darkness. Yeah. It's the situation they can't solve. It's the bad thing that's happening. It's yeah. the, um, the unimaginable. And so yep. that's just the way that that is. Um, so there it is. Yeah. Those are the three kind of images that we're inviting people into. Yeah, I hope when people see nativity scenes in the coming weeks, it it has a, a much deeper. More, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you see the baby, it's it's not like we're saying don't look at the baby or be critical right. of that. We're no, saying, God came as a newborn yes. infant, and that's really profound too. Yeah. Really powerful for sure. But yeah. let but in our culture often, or in our busyness even often, we'll lose sight of what's in this baby. Yeah. That he's a strong tower. Yeah. That those who call on his name will be saved. Yeah. I think a part of it is, you know, when you think about Christmas, you think about peace. And when we see the nativity scene, the way we, the way we navigate our way toward peace just in our minds is, oh, look how peaceful that scene is. But that's actually not, that's not the peace that Christmas offers us in this child is, um, all of this, a strong tower, streams of living water, a light to break the darkness. So that's what the, that's what the newborn infant baby Jesus represents that we don't have peace momentarily, temporarily when we look upon the baby in the manger and we think, Oh, it's so calm and so sweet and innocent. No, like that imagery that scene represents peace because in that tiny little human child is the God of the universe who from that little life will come strength and healing 
and light, you know, guidance and uh, hope and all of those things. And we have to see that when we see the child. Yeah. Um, Because the child alone, just a newborn baby can't really do much for you. Those of you who are parents, you know, like it's your responsibility to care for the child, not the child's responsibility to care for you. But uh, this child will not remain a little newborn child forever. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's really powerful. That's the hope for me. Right. Yeah. That makes it. Um, and that's the, that's the reality of what we're looking at when we look at the nativity. It's, it's all of these things, which is why it's so amazing. It's all of these things. Yeah. They're all balled up in the same, in the same thing. That's right. So, yeah. well, um, we're going to enter into the Advent season. I think yeah. on that note, so it was kind of like an interesting way to kind of launch us into the Advent season. Let's yeah. see it. Uh, with clear eyes, with yeah. biblical eyes, using um, the Bible's way of talking about it. And the Bible does that not um, to correct us necessarily, although it does correct us, but to to infuse us with the true meaning of what this Messiah is so yes. that we can see it clearly. Right. So let's see him clearly. Yeah. Although it's not wrong to listen to Mariah Carey. It's not. Is it? Is it wrong? No, man. It's I think not. that is probably the greatest Christmas song of all time, though, <laughs> at this point. At this time. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank Uh, you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Hey, everybody out there, just happy Thanksgiving and happy Christmas. Happy Advent. If you don't know, Westgate has an Advent devotional to help you kind of focus on this baby and all that this baby means and all that this baby is. You can find out more by going to westgatechurch.org slash Christmas. And uh, it's an amazing Advent devotional produced by Biola University. It's multi-sensory. It's got devotion. It's got scripture. It's got a little reflection. It's got some music. It's got a piece of art. So regardless of how you kind of consume things, this is a, it's a really effective way to reflect on all that Jesus is. And it's kind of based on Isaiah. Uh, the prophet Isaiah. So it's really worth your time. So go to westgatechurch.org and find that Advent devotional. You can have them email it directly into your inbox every day. And it's a great way to just kind of pause and stop and reflect. Let's not let Christmas get so busy that we lose Jesus in it. So as we launch into Advent, we'll start that sermon series next week. And so we'll see you then. Bye.